Good to be together this weekend, Student Weekend 2018, um, one of my favorite weekends of the year. Man, there's just a ton of energy just buzzing around um, all over the place. So thanks for being with us here in this room, in the South Auditorium, at our Windsor campus. Um, it's good to be here. Our goal as we go into fall um, is to kind of hit pause. Man, it is a lot for a lot of families. Um, just kicks up a ton with schedule, with all kinds of stuff. Teachers, you know what I'm talking about. Coaches, admin. Um, I coach soccer at Fort Collins High School, and we, we just ran two-a-days and the whole thing. So, like, it's just crazy um, right now. So here we want to kind of hit pause. We've been saying for a while that this is kind of like a living room, right? A place we can sit back, we can kind of relax and see what God would have for us. So if you've been to Timberline like a thousand times, or church a thousand times, and you kind of know the deal, or this is your first time, and you're like, don't know what's going on, um, that's okay. Because we're just going to kind of relax, hear a story of what Jesus told, and see what he would have for each of us, no matter where you're at. Um, so again, good to be together. My name is Tim Heist. I'm the student ministry pastor here at Timberline. Um, and summer was insanity. So I thought I would share that with you a little bit. Um, middle school, high school went on six camps in five weeks, um, and I skipped sleeping, um, but that's okay. Um, we went to Buena Vista for middle school, high school camp. We raft, we climbed, we camped, we did the whole deal, um, and it was fantastic. Went to the Dominican Republic, partnered with some missionaries there, um, and had sure a lot of fun. Our Windsor campus did RFK with uh, Fort Collins campus as well for Weld and Larimer County kids. Our Royal Family Kids is a camp for foster students, or foster kids, um, to have a great week. And then VBS. Um, this last year, Vacation Bible School, our Timber Kids, um, impacted over 900 people through Vacation Bible School. Like, yeah, just incredible. Um, Another huge win we had, a lot of you have given to uh, TSM missions through the years, right? We do a car wash every year, um, and we don't really wash cars, but you give, so thank you. Um, we do, but if you've gotten a wash, you know, you know. Um, and we reached a massive benchmark this year where we surpassed $100,000 in middle school, high school missions giving. So thank you guys for being generous. Yeah, amazing. Last week, we had an event called Slip and Kick. Slip and Kick is kickball. Each base is a slip and slide. Um, and to make it better, we added a unicorn because unicorns are fun. Um, so there's that. But just a lot going on. Um, spending time with people that invest in us, right? Middle school, high school is all about that. It's getting good people in the room and doing life together is really good, right? Coming here is really good and being together is really good. But when we are active in motion, doing something, experiencing life, something special happens. Like, it's, it's just kingdom stuff, and it's really, really good. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about that, about investment, about being together, about kingdom. And it's not just about if you're 18 or under, or you're 50 and older, right? It's for all of us, right? And the youngest one needs our oldest one, and our older ones need our younger ones. And that's what church is. It's about us being together and seeing what God would have for us. Personally, this summer, my life was pretty busy as well. Um, amidst all those camps, my wife and I decided it'd be fun to get a puppy that's eight weeks old. Um, so there you go. That was fun. Apparently, raising a dog in your 30s is different than your 20s. Um, and I don't sleep anymore. But here's a picture of us. Oh, yeah, she's cute. My wife's okay, too. <laughs> okay. Um, we're on Instagram because I've given in to the Doggram page. So there you go. Um, good to be here. This weekend, we're going to look at the story in Matthew 25. 
where Jesus is telling a parable. A parable is a story that teaches a lesson, and he's actually, the sermon he's giving is massive. It's like three parables, it's multiple chapters, um, but we're going to look just at one piece of it. And as we read it here in a second, we need to know like where the time landed, right? So Jesus, this is right before the Last Supper, the prayer in the garden, the Last Supper, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and what we call the ascension, this idea that he rose into heaven again and is still alive. It's right before all that. Last weekend, Foth talked about time, right? And he said, hey, Jesus talked a lot about this thing where he's like with them already, but he's got to leave. And then they'll be together again. So if you rewind just a touch before he leaves, that's where we land um, in this passage. Um, time's important. Right? It's an investment. We know how we use our time matters. But in this parable, that's what it's all about. He's essentially saying, like, what you do with your time matters. For me, looking forward in my time is really easy, right? I'm going to do this and this and this, and I plan it all out, and it's all scheduled and great. But looking back, I realize I waste so much time, right? Last week, uh, my wife drug me to Ikea. Um, I mean, I went with my wife to Ikea. Um, It's my favorite. And we went and needed a new dresser. Um, And with a new dresser comes 10,000 screws, apparently. Um, So we get this thing. We get it home, right? We put it all together. The dog's eating the box. Like, it's a whole thing. Um, Finally get it together. And I look down. And Melissa looks at me and goes, I don't think these are right. And we put 12 drawers together. And I put them on the outside instead of the inside. Um, So there you go. And I look at her. um, And I... And I go, surely we can just drill new holes. Like, we'll just, right? You see where this is going. Time matters. And it was a complete waste of time. We had to take the whole thing back apart, finally get it back together. Um, if you're like me, uh, movies are tough, right? You can, I'm open to booing. It's fine. Feel free anytime. Um, superhero movies and I, they don't get along, right? So thank goodness for the bistro. We went and saw the longest Marvel movie, apparently. It may not even be Marvel. Sorry, guys. Um, And watched the movie. I took two naps and had two bowls of popcorn. Um, And at the end, I woke up and everyone just vanishes. And I'm like, I invested two and a half hours of napping into this movie and people are just gone, right? Time. You look back and you're like, gosh, that was a waste. We look forward and we plan everything. Jesus, in this passage, um, says what you do with your time matters, right? We see this kingdom thing now where he says, hey, I'm already with you, right? Good things happen. God's kingdom is here. We can sense it. We're not really sure how to say it or feel it, but we can tell it's here. But we also know it's not, like, right, right? There's a lot of brokenness in our world. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. So he's here, but he's not fully here because we still live in this broken world. This passage, um, I invited Keaton Cunningham, one of our high school students, to come up and read this um, today. And as he read it, reads it, listen for a few things. Listen for active words and passive words. And we're going to see what that looks like. Matthew 25. Uh, this is the parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, 
You entrusted me with the five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with the two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Awesome. Can we give it up for Keaton? Yeah. He got up early and showered just for you guys. Keaton, you're the man. Growing up, my mom, going to church was a big deal, right? So we had to get all dressed up. And um, I remember my mom making me iron my cargo pants. So I know what it takes to look good, and you looked great. So thank you. Okay, as we talk about this passage today, right, a few things come to mind. One is we need to read this the way they would have heard it. Right? For me, my first instinct is like, whoa, like super harsh ending. What is going on here? Like, that's a lot to listen. I don't like that. Um, where do I stand with this? Like, there's a lot going on, but we need to hear it how they did. And in that day, it was super normal for a master to leave, okay, and to leave his estate, his stuff, um, with the servants. Okay, so that was normal. Here's why. What they would do is they would leave and leave it all with the servants and go and try to build their empire or take ground. But it had massive political connotations, right? So if they went and they were killed, what would happen is whoever killed them then took over all of their stuff and their people and their land and all of that. We see it multiple times with the Herods of that day that that would happen. So originally, when I hear this, I'm like, yeah, the guy's lazy. Like, he did nothing. He dug a hole and put money in it. But then when you think about it, you're like, well, hang on. A lot of times, the master would have been killed. And so he may have been doing what he thought was best to save the master of shame later or himself, the risk that that would take. And what the master may be saying more clearly is, are you willing to take the risk for me? The risk with my money, the risk with my name, the fallout that might come if I don't succeed. In this passage, we see two servants took the risk, invested the money, wore the name, and put their lives into action. They are rewarded. They are told, well done, good and faithful servants. The third is judged super harshly in our minds. But actually, they're all judged. Right? Judgment gets really tricky for us. And if you're anything like me, like I hate it. Right? I don't like this idea that I may have to measure up to God or I may not be good enough so I have to do something better. And it sets us up in this cycle of earning and doing and proving. Right? And over and over and over again, I messed up yesterday so I have to go to church today. Or I did this thing I shouldn't have done so now I have to listen to the, like, better Christian music. Or I have to do this because I did that. And it sets up this cycle over and over and over again where we don't feel like we're good enough. Right? 
We're in a world that is broken. No matter how hard we try to do better, we still screw up, and then we try to fix it with something else. And this passage sets this idea of judgment up. But the entire time, we're kind of missing it. We miss the role of Jesus in our lives that we don't need to measure up. We don't need to prove that we're worthy or do more or do the right things or or earn our value. But instead, we need to receive the gift just like the master gave the gift of grace. In our programs, there's some place you can follow along today. If you want to pull that out, number one, extreme grace is given to us. Extreme grace is given to us. In this passage, we see that the master is generous, as God is generous, and they are each given a gift, and they get to do with it whatever they want. In the same way, God has given us this gift of grace. Okay, I hate judgment, right? I grew up in church, and a lot of times it feels like there's someone pointing at you, looking at you, measuring you. Are you better than somebody else? Are you good enough for God to love? And oftentimes we miss it, right? Church aside, this judgment thing gets really weird. Last night I went to Medici, long live pizza, and had dinner with some friends and wanted to order some meatballs and leaned over to my friend and I went, hey, don't judge me. I'm about to order like four entrees right now. And she looked at me and she's like, I would never judge you for that. But we order food and people are like, ooh, hey, don't judge me. Little secret. Um, The heist home, we destroy whipped cream. Like, like ready whip whipped cream. Um, and all the time, um, I will say to my wife, like, well, kicked another can. Don't judge me for that, <laughs> right? Food, we often get this, like, hey, don't, don't look, um, leave me alone. The same thing is true with clothes. For me, this drives me crazy, okay? Pet peeve time with Tim. Um, oftentimes on a weekend, I will wear the same outfit on a Saturday night as a Sunday morning. Um, and the problem with that is there's some people, you know who you are, choose to do this thing um, called outfit tracking, Okay, outfit tracking is when you notice that I wear the same clothes and you go, you wore that last night. And I go, I know, like I wore it last night. Leave me alone, right? Outfit tracking, don't do it. It's mean. I have four shirts that I like. Let it be, right? So whenever someone looks at us and says this or that, food, clothes, basic stuff, we don't like it. And the same thing is true when it goes to the spiritual level or to our faith. Why? Well, it's all up to us, right? I can't blame someone else for how I order food. That'd be sweet. I can't blame someone else for my whipped cream addiction, right? I can't blame somebody else because of the shirt I wore, right? It's all up to me. And it goes back to this thing where I feel like I have to measure up or do better in order to prove my value or my worth. We get a job because of our work experience. We get a grade because of the labor, the work we put in. We get a friend because they like who we are or they can tolerate us enough, right? But our connection to God, our forgiveness, this thing, grace, it's tricky because it's not really something we earn or do or can work harder to get, right? The beginning of the story, the master gives it to them freely and they take it and they get to do with it what they want. So for us, where are you at? In a world that's broken and messed up, in a place where we try over and over and over again to be better or do better or be good enough that God would notice or love us or care, are you receiving the grace that he's offering to you? That you don't have to do that, but you receive that grace. If you're a driven person, okay, I'm that way, and even though I've received that grace and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this the kingdom way, the God way, I still feel like I need to do a little more just to prove that, like, yes, God, I believe, but then I'm going to still do this to try to one-up my, my rep here. 
I want to let you guys know his grace is enough. His grace is enough. And in our brokenness, in our trying, he shows up. This last summer, we went to the Dominican Republic, and we took about 28 people there um, and came home with 28. And when we were there, <laughs> when we were there, I asked a few students to share their life story. And when we were there, Sydney shared her life story, and it was amazing because it talked about just this, that in our worst, in our brokenness, when we feel like we don't measure up, God is still there waiting for us to receive his grace. I'd love to tell you the story, but it's better from her. Listen to this. So going into my freshman year of high school, I decided to join a youth group and go to summer camp with them. And that's when I gave my life to Jesus. And it was just so amazing. Um, I finally found out how much he loved me. And then three months after that camp, my older brother decided to take his life. And that was just so hard on me and my family. And I ended my relationship with Jesus because I didn't want anything to do with him. And I just didn't understand how he could take my brother from me. Um, and I started turning to the wrong things to fill that hole in my heart. Um, but then my youth group leader decided to reach out to me. And she started taking me to breakfast every Friday morning. And soon that turned into Bible studies and daily devotions. Um, and then she convinced me to go to camp with her again. And that was the best decision I've ever made. Um, I gave my life over to Jesus again. And I finally felt that love. And I could feel him working to heal my heart again. And um, I just realized that she was trying so hard to show me how much Jesus loved me. And she put so much time into me. And I'm just so thankful for that. Amazing. Headley, Rome family, we're with you guys. Um, in this thing, we're thankful that God is faithful, right? That he is there, that in our worst moment, he can still be found, that he pursues us, that he reaches out. Wherever you are today, maybe you're like Sydney and you're like, grew up in church, far from God right now. Be reminded you don't have to earn that back. You can just receive his grace. Maybe you've never like came to God or had that connection and that's okay, but today could be a day where you say, okay, I don't... I don't have it, but God, you do. And because you've already paid the price, you've done what I've had to do to be connected to you. Number two in the program, success is found through faithfulness. Success is found through faithfulness. Growing up, I remember Sunday school teachers, right, using a flannel graph and smacking these people up there. And in my mind, I'm super competitive, okay? So in my mind, I always thought the guy that was given 10 made 10 winner. The guy that was given five made five first loser. The guy that was given one made none biggest loser, right? And this competitive thing has always been there in my life and measuring them and where they rank and all that stuff. But the interesting thing is, when we come back and see what the master said when he returned, he said the same thing to the guy that was given 10 and the guy that was given 5. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Is it possible that the master was measuring their success in their activity, not their numeric change? Perhaps the best translation of what the question he asked was, how much business has been transacted? Not how much did you earn or how good at producing something are you? In our culture, we're all about numbers, right? We measure everything. In sports, we measure how fast you are, how tall you are, how much you weigh, how long your arms are. I coach soccer. We count touches. Like, so anytime someone touches the ball or completes a pass, we count how far they run, how fast they run, how much they run, all these things. And in our culture, we do the same thing. I have a bed that counts how well I sleep, and it stresses me out. 
like I lay down and it measures how quick, it's like an app, you know, and it measures how quickly you fall asleep based on your heart rate. Weird, cool. But I'm like, like trying to trick the thing because I'm competitive because we measure everything. And when I wake up and I see the number my wife had, I have to win. And I never do because she falls asleep in like two seconds. Jealous. Okay, we measure everything. But what about in our life, if we look at what defines success, and it's not just the number? What if instead of measuring everything based on the number compared to everyone else, we measure it based on our faithfulness of what God has asked us to do? What if instead of my salary last year, I measure, was I a good dad? Was I a faithful mom? Was I a successful husband because I was present? I stayed in the fight. I loved well. I was a successful business person or a boss because my workers had an incredible place to be. That kingdom thing was at work, and it wasn't just about the bottom line. Understand me. I love to compete. I love to win. But when we measure things through faithfulness instead of numbers, something changes. We're actually able to like, do what God is leading us and asking us to do. I'm thankful for people in my life that did that. The people in Sydney's life that were faithful and steadfast and stayed in the fight and did what they needed to do versus measuring me up differently. I had a guidance counselor named Eric Weedman in middle school. I was an eighth grade boy, and I remember going outside for a physics lesson, um, and I picked up a snowball, as eighth grade boys do, and Eric looked at me, Mr. Weedman looked at me, and goes, hey, you need to put that down, knowing what was happening. Um, so I decided to put it down, like, just over his head, right? And so he, <laughs> I'm so glad it didn't hit him, um, right, over his head, and he goes, well, we're going to have to talk about this. And I remember going into the office and talking about it, but Eric didn't stop there. It would have been way easier for him to put me on the list and be like, you're a kid I don't want to deal with. I'll teach you. That's about it. But instead, he decided to be faithful or steadfast because that's what success was measured on. And he would ask me how my life is, how my family is, the decisions I'm making because he said I was worth it in that time. So for you today, who has been faithful to you? Who has been faithful to you? Who helped you shape to be who you are today? Who has done this parable in your life? In 1997, uh, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, won a Lifetime Achievement Emmy Award, right? And he goes up to give his speech, um, and everyone's expecting that he's going to make it about, what, himself and say thank you, and it's been a long journey, and all of that. But it's interesting what he says. Check this out. Oh, it's a beautiful night in this neighborhood. <laughs> so many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. Some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are. Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. Man, 10 seconds. Who in your life was faithful to you? This weekend, we wanted to kind of take a moment to think on that, but also to give you an opportunity to say thanks. So we set up a photo booth out in the lobby area, out in the back, 
where you can take a minute and take a picture and send it to someone to say thanks. Maybe it's a coach, a teacher, someone that's in the admin or a staff or a bus driver or whatever it is. Someone that said, I'm going to be faithful to you and I'm going to stay in the fight. It's a powerful thought. It's a powerful thought. As we move to the third servant, I want us to think about his response. The master returns and kind of calls him on what's going on, right? He says, hey, um, what did you do? And he comes up and he says a few things differently than we would expect. I've always thought the master was harsh for judging him or for saying, hey, you deserve this. But here's what happens when we flip it and look at the heart of the guy. He comes up and instead of his behavior influencing his, what he did, he allowed his behavior to influence how he viewed the master. Right, So he comes back and he says, um, I have done, what, nothing. I've dug a hole I, because of what? Because you are a hard man because I was afraid. And instead of taking action or being responsible for his action, he puts it on somebody else. I think about our lives. There's a lot of times where I fail or I let somebody down or I don't take action. I'm super passive. And my first response is usually what? I'm too busy. Or my first response is, but they Right? You think about Adam and Eve. God comes back and says, what did you do? And Adam says, well, the woman you created gave me the apple. Right? It goes back to day one. We do that. We put it on someone else instead of ourselves, and it influences how we view God. I grew up in church. I grew up in a church that often I heard all the time that God is a God that judges, and he's harsh, and he's this angry master. But it's interesting when it never says that except from the perspective of the man that let him down. And I think a lot of times in our lives, instead of receiving the grace that God has given us, we've allowed our lives to define who God is instead of actually exploring and learning about who the character of God actually is. This weekend, I want us to take a second to think about that. To think that maybe we project on God who he is more often than we actually spend time with who he is. In the program, number three there, the parable is to be continued. Initially, when I look at this, right, I look at it and I'm like, the story's over, the guy is toast, God is harsh. But when we think about it in two different ways, it's totally different, right? In the West, we have this idea, one, capitalism, gain, get more, number one's the winner. But we also have this yes is yes, no is no, this is said, this is done. In the East, they would say, hey, this is what you deserve. And oftentimes, it would begin a discussion of what would actually happen, so growing up for me on the flannel graph, the guy always got pulled off and thrown aside because he was cast out and gone forever. But the reality is the parable actually never ends, right? And this is the beauty of the parables, right? We have the story of the Good Samaritan, and the Good Samaritan, what? The guy gets him in a hotel. He stays there overnight. We don't know if he makes it home. We don't know if the guy lives. We don't know if he's come back to the health. We don't, we don't know, right? The story of the prodigal son. We have a party at the end. The father accepts the younger son back, and the older son at the end of the story is standing there, and we end up thinking, will he go into the party? Will he join his family? The same is true in this passage. We see a story where the master says, hey, you deserve this, but what actually happens? And what it does is it beckons a response from us. It puts us in the shoes of the third person to say, what will we do? Will we view the master as harsh because of what we've done, or will we take time to be active and to get to work? Number four, to be faithful is to be active. To be faithful is to be active. The first two put grace to work. The third did not. He played it safe and went inactive. The words are so clear. He went out, he put his money to work, and he gained. The third person dug a hole in the ground and hid. 
passive, defensive, fingers crossed words. I'm not sure our faith is so different. Sometimes we, what, we hide because we don't know what to do. When we're not in motion and active or passive and we miss out on who God really is and what he's doing in our life. So the question is this, where are you at? With this piece of grace, have you received that? Where are you at with this faithfulness thing? Have you allowed your life to be active to do something? I know a lot of times we don't know what to do, right? I have phone calls all the time where I'm, I don't know what to say. I had a lunch with someone this week where we talked for a little bit and then said, hey, let's not talk about the upcoming surgery. Let's just have lunch and be together. And I think sometimes just being together can be that good kingdom thing that happens. A few years back, we had a sweet sixth grade girl named Ella, right? And Ella came in and she came right into middle school and said, Tim, uh, you need to pray for my friend, Jean. And I go, okay. Um, I'm assuming Jean is not a sixth grade girl, but I could be wrong. Um, And she goes, no, 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 it's my neighbor. And I go, okay, tell me about this. And we see that Ella and Jean became good friends because of her dog, right? And Ella went over and wanted to meet the dog. And through time, they became friends. They began baking together, doing things together. Ella would go over in the morning and say good morning in the evening. And when Jean faced health difficulties, Ella was there and sat with her and prayed with her. And when Ella got sick, Jean went over and helped care for her and be with her. And something really cool happens when this kingdom good God stuff comes into play and we just take the step and we're active. I want to encourage you, it's not about age. You're not too young. You're not too old. It's about being active and seeing what God would have for us. Um, A few months ago, about six months ago, I got to sit down with a mentor of mine. At the end of the conversation, um, he goes, hey, Tim, you you, you really need to read Billy Graham's, one of his last books he wrote before he passed. And I said, okay. And he goes, well, it's called Nearing Home, and it's kind of written for retiring people. And I was like, like, I'm getting old, but like, I'm old enough where I feel the weather in my joints, but not that old. Like, come on. And he goes, no, 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 you need to read it. And I go, okay, okay. So I go home, I look on Amazon, um, and it only comes in large print. And I said to myself, (laughs) right, I said to myself, what are you doing here? What are we doing? So I buy it, I read the book, you guys amazing. The legacy is amazing. And in it, he talks about this. He talks about people looking towards retirement and people in retirement. And one of the chapters is fully dedicated to people looking to get to retirement so they can rest and be. And he says, the people that I talk to that are the most lonely, the most isolated, they sit and they look back on the good memories of what life was, are ones that are not active. And he ends the chapter by saying, hey, no matter your age, young, old, in the middle, be active. For your health, socially, spiritually, do something. Be active and see what God would do. In this parable and in our lives, active is faithful. Active is faithful. Well, as we close today, the band here and the band out in Windsor is going to come up and sing a song. And as they do, I want us to reflect on a few things. Right? They're in your bulletin. The first one is, have I responded to God's grace in my life? I've found that when I haven't, I put my own projection on, on God of who I think he should be or who I'm expecting to be him to be instead of who he actually is. Maybe you came to faith a long time ago and faith is disconnected and you need to re-engage. Maybe you've never said, hey, um, I've never really realized that I don't have to do the work, that I'm good enough who I am And God can do the work in my life when I receive the grace that he's given to me.
The second question is, where in my life do I need to be faithful? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's in your marriage, that you just need to stay in the fight. You need to see it through. Maybe it's with your kids, or with your parents, or with your job. Maybe it's a friend. Wherever you are, no one else is there. It's you, and who can you be faithful to? And the third one is, who can I invest in? Who has God put in my life, or who do I rub shoulders with, or work with, or they're on my team, or whatever, that I can invest in and be a reminder of who Jesus is to them. Father, we come to you this morning in this quiet moment. We think and we reflect on your grace. The fact that you love us where we are, and you offer grace to us that we don't need to measure up or be good enough to be noticed. But when we just receive your grace, when we put our faith, our hope in you, you make us new. Father, for those in this room wrestling that they're not good enough, would you remind them they are? Because of who you are, they are made new and can be made new. Father, for those in this room that need to be faithful somewhere in their life, the challenge of that, whether it be a marriage, a friendship, to someone they know, would you bring strength? That it wouldn't be done in our own strength, but it would be given strength from you to live out this life. Father, would you open our eyes to be you extended in our world? Would we see who we need to be investing in, to spend time with, to just be with, so your kingdom would be made known here? We are thankful and grateful for your grace in your name. Amen.